Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's going on, everybody? Hope you are having a wonderful week so far. Uh, before we start the podcast, um, please hit subscribe. Please give us a review after once you've listened to it. Um, I love it. I love doing this podcast. I've really grown to enjoy it even more. Um, and the more subscribers and the more reviews we get, the more likely it carries on. Um, so yeah, thank you for that. So podcast time. I am really excited about this, this episode. DJ Bone really doesn't need any introduction, but is one of the Detroit founders of techno. He has been part of a movement from Detroit from pretty much the get-go of Detroit techno. Obviously, me living in Detroit is... I have a, a fond thing for learning about the history and teaching or talking to people to teach me about the history and teach others about the history of Detroit. And I think it's really important. But I was... Um, I saw some instagram obviously i've I've known of dj bone for years i've known of his music i've known what his importance is in the scene but i didn't really know him as a person and then i saw him playing some of my records and i was like jesus christ dj bone is playing my records and we got talking on instagram um and then he asked me to play for his homeless homies show in amsterdam at ade um we met and then I we decided to do a podcast. This guy is one of the nicest people in the industry that I've met. Um, very humble. He does a lot for the community. He has a charity called Homeless Homies, which helps um, homeless people in many ways. Um, so in the description below, I've actually put the um, donation link. If you want to go and donate, please do, even if it's two bucks even if it's one buck whatever you can that would be great i don't often ask people to donate or i never ask people to donate but what um dj bone and his wife Anne are doing is super special um so yeah i'm gonna leave you all with the conversation so without further ado dj bone dj bone what's cooking man what up though you all right well yeah good how are you uh, i'm good man i'm good where are you right now I'm in San Francisco. Nice. Uh, played last night. Uh, small week weekday gig yeah. uh, called F8. F8. How was it? It was good. Yeah. It's good. It's just really small venue, but uh, really great people and good vibe. Mm, love that. I I was yeah. actually in San Fran this weekend as well. I played Friday. Friday I saw. Friday. I was night. like, we just missed you. Yeah. It's San Fran's changed a lot, hasn't it? It has, man. It's changed since it, COVID. <laughs> it's it's almost like everywhere has changed. Yeah. And I think what it is is when you go back to spots you you used to frequent, it's kind of shocking. Mm. When you see it, you're like, wow, 
I remember it used to be like this. Yeah. It's so different. Yeah. I think for me that I found as well, like obviously San Francisco was a, a really big city for me pre-COVID. Mm-hmm. And obviously COVID happened and San Francisco, I th- personally, I think San Francisco got hit the mo- the hardest in America. Um, and then the homeless got even worse. And it's just like, it's carnage out there now. And I think what happened, a lot of yeah. a lot of the scene just left. And it's now like having to rebuild. It's really sad. It is having to rebuild. We noticed that because every time I play this event, you know, the F8, it's like packed, packed. Yeah. I mean, even, it's so weird because it seems like every time I come out uh, to San Fran, it rains. Every single time, my friends hate it. They're like, man, every time you come, it rains. But uh, I'd say 2018, I came out, you know, pre-COVID, and it was raining cats and dogs, and we were so upset because we were, like, on our way to the club thinking, damn, nobody's going to be there. Yeah. Because it never rains in SF, so mm-hmm. we're like, great. You know, nobody's going to come out in this. And we got there, and there's a line out the building, down the Love block, it. in the rain. I was Love like, it. damn. And then you fast forward to after lockdown, and it's like completely different. Yeah, you know the, the promoters are struggling, yeah. and the venues are struggling, and the crowd has has flipped. You know, so it's a whole different vibe on top of that. Completely different vibe. Completely yeah. different vibe. Like for me beforehand, <clears throat> it was more like it was a party crowd, like real yep. party crowd, and they wanted to go. And like for me, I've done two shows post pandemic in San Fran and. It's been a tough crowd. Like they, people have showed up, people have come, but it's a different yeah. crowd. It's more of a, it's more of a tech crowd. It's more of people that don't really go to clubs. That's yeah. That's the weird part. Yeah, They're, it's like this social gathering type yeah. vibe. Yeah, yeah. As opposed to like a party party. Yeah, it's really weird. And then you throw in the landscape with uh, when you leave the the club, yeah, or the 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 gig of all the homeless people. And it's shocking, man. We went out yesterday. Uh, we're staying downtown. We went, we went uh, first thing in the morning and had breakfast and bought a ton of breakfast yeah. to just walk around and hand out yeah, to I as many people as we could. Yeah. Because it was just, it was bad to begin with, but we saw how, how much worse it's gotten and we were in complete shock, man. It's It's really actually worrying to me. Like, my first show back in San Francisco was last year um i can't remember exactly the the date um but when i noticed it the most it was this year like january this this year and me and my manager were walking through tenderloin and tenderloin's always been bad it's always been bad but it was like people shooting up on every doorstep dealers on every corner people like smoking in, in every single car like it was bad yeah. and like i like well you grew up in detroit you're from detroit yeah. you've grew up in not necessarily grew up but you've you've witnessed rough areas of of america and and in kind of more poverty trodden areas in america and san, yeah. san fran is like one of the wealthiest cities in the world and you yeah. have that and there's just something so fucked about it so it is it's so backwards fucking yeah. backwards man I mean, I remember 
like being on the east side of Detroit, yeah. you know, going to my cousin's house, me and me and my homies from from high school, mm. and we would walk, and you had to dodge like on the street little empty crack vials yeah. and and needles to make sure you wouldn't step on that shit, and that was sadly normal, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But to to fast forward to now, you know, so many years later, it's the same. And I'm seeing it here, and I'm like, yeah. fuck. And people are warning us, like, be careful. We know you're trying to help, you know, and feed the homeless, but they're walking around out here with syringes in their hands, yeah. so don't get poked. And I'm like, what the fuck is yeah, yeah. What's going on? It's bad. You know? And it's a lot of mental health issues because every single person we we helped yesterday, when we, when we walked up on them, they were either knocked out, like, mm. you know, in a haze, or they were talking to themselves. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And it was just so sad, man. I think I think I think it's it's really interesting because I I don't know if you know my background, but I my parents own a drug and alcohol rehab. Really, and, I yeah, didn't know that. And I've my mum's always worked in rehabs my my whole life. So like I grew up <clears throat> going to work with her when I was a kid and going to wow. going to rehab. So I've like been around that a lot of, in my life, and it's amazing what we do in England for addiction and mental health like we're super lucky with that and yeah. it, it, we're, we're really lucky with what we do for the homeless and kind of helping people even if you're not homeless just single mothers like everything we do we support the people yeah um and we i think people in england don't realize how lucky we have it um and then fast forward to america which is the wealthiest country in the world and you've got this huge mental health crisis that just seems to be getting worse and worse yet people are paying more people are paying more taxes people are paying more for rent and everything like that and it just doesn't seem to go anywhere no no and it's a drop in the bucket to what they need to do you know we feel bad because when we go to west coast when we come to san fran we're going to la next yeah and we want to do so much to help we, we try and organize something in L.A. and we're like, okay, we're going to feed the homeless on this day, you know, in this area. And then we go down there, you know, to try and scout out what we would need to do and how we can work the logistics. And there's just so many people yeah. that we're like, okay, even when we do do this and we pull it off, what about tomorrow? What about yeah. the next day? Yeah. So, yeah, we fed people for one day. But they got to eat again tomorrow. Yeah. You know what I mean? So now we're trying to to speak more to the people who can implement solutions to to help. We we raise money to help build tiny houses. Yeah. Um, to get people, but there's a huge conundrum because the guy who did it is like, not every person wants to, mm. you know, live in a tiny house. Or some people choose to be on the street. They choose to be homeless. So what can you do for them? You know. And I was like, man. It's just such a tough, a tight situation, man. It's really tough. And like, I don't know what the solution is at all. But I think the main, from what I think, and this, I don't really want to go into politics because I'm not political at all, really. But Mm -hmm. from podcasts that I've listened to previously about the homeless issues and things like that, like LA gets a billion dollars a year to help the homeless. Like, and there's still more and more homeless on the streets. Like, I'm, I, I, exactly. I, I don't like. I understand some people choose to be homeless. Like, I've I've met people in 
my parents' rehab that like the first month they move they move into the rehab, they still sleep on the floor because that's what they've been used to for the last thirty years. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. Th- it's still like you eventually evolve and you eventually change as a human being, and we can't just expect people to change overnight. We have to give them time, no. and you have to you have to allow them. But like the amount of money that's being spent. But where's that money going? It's not going. It's going into their back pockets. It's exactly, exactly. And they don't have to legally. The sad part is legally they don't have to spend all of it. No. On uh, the main issue. No, they're all earning you know, two hundred fifty thousand, three hundred thousand a year to fix the problem, and they're not. That's where the money's going to them, and it's just and it's super it's just sad. Temporary. It's band aids. It's not. It's not uh, solutions. It's a, a temporary fix. Yeah. And what happens is. If if the people who are homeless don't have an an inkling of hope, then then why should they even think about you know a new life or a different life? If all they're worried about is okay, today's goal is eating mm. and sleeping somewhere safe. That's it. Yeah, that's not hope. You know, that's survival. That's basic survival. Yeah. Food, clothing, shelter. So if you could give them hope as to you know, being drug or alcohol free yeah. or having help with their mental uh, issues or getting a job mm-hmm. or having a, being able to sustain a pet, you know, in a home or just something where they, they say, okay, that's my goal. Yeah. So now I'm excited about trying to have a new and better life, you yeah. know, and better conditions and safer conditions and get healthy, you know, but if you don't give any, anyone those, those, glimpses of hope then they're just they're just surviving yeah you know and they'll do what they have to do to survive and i don't think like i don't think that's just with homeless as well i think that's with a lot of people generally it's like a lot of people out there are just they're just go ticking along with life because they have to because it costs so much for them and they just have to put the hours in and it's like I, I now I, I live in Detroit, like I see it all the time. And it's like, Man. it's so sad that we live in a world where there's so much wealth and that wealth, I, I'm cool for people making money. I I, I, yeah. I actually have no issue with very wealthy people. I, I haven't, I, and I think a lot of very wealthy people give a lot of money to, yes, it's tax breaks, but whatever, give it to people. And, yeah. and make, but I think it's just how, there's communities of people that are all could be really fucking talented people. They could all give so much to the world and it just, they just, they don't even leave the block. I know, I know, man. And it's frustrating, you know, and that's why when I got to a certain level, when I, when I met, um, I met my, my wife yeah. and we clicked and we started talking about our past and talking about uh, basically how we like to help you know, the homeless community and we, we were on a level of talking to them. I was in Detroit and I, I knew almost every homeless person downtown. Yeah. I knew them. I knew where they'd be. I knew like majority of their names, their situations. And we'd ride around Detroit. And I remember first, when she first came to Detroit, there's this guy walking down the street and he was, uh, he used to do this thing where he would try and make people think he was crazy. Like, you know, like, so they wouldn't fuck with him. Yeah. So he'll walk down the street and he's like ah, ah, talking to himself and doing his motions, you know, looking really aggressive. Yeah. So we pull the car over to the side and he's walking down the street, coming towards the car. And then she's looking at me like, uh, 
why are you sitting here? And this guy, this crazy guy is coming, you know, he's going to run up on our car. And I said, watch this. And I rolled down the window. Then he was walking up and I just leaned over and I go, hey. And I looked at him and he looked at me and he goes. And he just got really quiet. Yeah. And then he just walked down the street because mm. I told him it wasn't good for him to do that. Yeah. Because eventually he could become that. Yeah. You know what I mean? But we would go around and she saw, you know, the situation in Detroit was bad, but it wasn't as bad as where she was, you know, living in L.A. Yeah, no way near as bad. That's when we said, you know, we could do something, you know, and help some people, mm. you know, and we, we did some really good stuff. And So did it, it start? Feels, it started in America, the whole homeless yeah, thing? Okay. It, it started in, De- in Detroit. Mm. It was the first uh, things we did. And we would just do little, you know, acts of kindness and, and see what we could do. Make sure that we could feed some people. Take uh, cases of White Castle mm. burgers yeah. to the <laughs> to the the homeless shelter. Yeah, because uh, there's one across from the train station we should uh, take care of all the time. And what it is is they have to line up outside really early, mm. and just just to make sure they that they can get a bed because there's not enough beds for everybody. So they're outside, whether it's heat or cold. So we would go there Thanksgiving or, you know, usually in the wintertime. Yeah. And we would bring drinks and bring, you know, White Castles. Yeah. And we'd show up and they're like, oh, Bones, yeah, White Castle man is here. You know? And, just, <laughs> and it was cool because it was so civil to the point where if we're telling people here, take a couple of burgers. And they're like, no, no, no. Make sure everybody gets one first. Mm. I don't want to take two yet. Yeah. Love that. You know, mm. that's that's humanity. You know, totally. that's respect for your fellow man and woman. And it just touched our heart. You mm. know, from that point on, we were like, we have to do some more. And that's when she would come up with ideas like, okay, let's do this, let's do that. And then we decided that, you know, when late when the label stopped making as much money as it used to, when yeah. music was paying people, we just decided, okay whatever we we make off the label we'll just put an account Mm -hmm. and then that's going to go towards uh the homeless homies and we did that in 2002 yeah we decided that amazing you know so i mean it feels good that's the the key is it's a service that makes us it really we were like on such a a good vibe yesterday yeah because we felt we helped some people it was little as it was mm-hmm. just to see the look on their faces, you know, the looks on their faces and, and, the, it's just amazing. We came across some of everybody. This, this one couple was living in their car right around the corner, you know, downtown where all the fancy shops are. Yeah. There's a couple with their dog in the car mm. and it was full. It was tons of stuff in the car, tons of stuff out of the car. You know, the dog came running out the car, sniffing the food. Yeah. <laughs> what was the dog's name? Yeah, they're like, Arthur, get back here. Get back here, Arthur. <laughs> so we gave him one for Arthur, too. It was like, here, give him some sausages or something. I think that's the amaz- but, amazing <clears throat> thing, though, about giving back. It actually makes you feel better. And yep. it's kind of like therapy for yourself. Although, in in like a selfish way, it's like, but it's also not selfish because you're helping people. Yeah. Yeah. And and we always tell each other we have enough. Yeah. That's the one thing we always look at each other and say, we have plenty. So when, when, when how much extra do we need? You know, when in your career did you get to that point where you were like, I have enough now? Cause I, uh, or is that, is that a career thing or is that an age thing? It was both. Yeah. 
To be honest, it was both. It was no, it was three things. It was career, age, and when I met my wife. Yes. Because, especially in Detroit and in most inner cities, a lot of young black men were never taught about finance. Yeah. About how to, you know, brothers can make money. Yeah. yeah. Brothers can find a way to make money, mm-hmm. but they might not know how to save money, manage it, or how to invest yeah. money. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So the streets don't teach you that shit. They teach you how to hustle, but they don't teach you how to save. So you're out there trying to buy the, you know, this car, put rims on it, sound system, big gold chain. You know what I'm saying? You see see it every day. See it every day. But how many people have a 401k? How many people have a retirement plan? Who's invested in real estate? You know? Yeah. So I think it got to that point because I would make money, really good money. And I wouldn't hold on to it. Yeah. I would waste it, you know. But the cool thing was most of the what I wasted my money on early was gear. Yeah. So at least I was investing in my career. Yourself. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it wasn't real estate or anything, but it, it was gear, vinyl, you know. And then my wife is an accountant. That's always so good. She's just <laughs> dropped the knowledge on me and was like, this is how you save money. This is how you do that. So we started the system where we'll pay ourselves first. Yeah. Every month. Whatever we made for the month, we take a certain amount, 20%, whatever, and pay ourselves. Yeah. Then the rest of it. So now that's like an, an obligation you have. And the rest of it goes, you start towards bills. Yeah. And then that, and then you have whatever's left over. And then the next thing you know, you turn around a few years later and that 20% that you paid yourself every month just blew up. Yeah. So now we're like, oh, shit, you know, yeah, yeah. we did have extra. Yeah. If you put because usually people spend, spend and then they say, OK, I have this left. That's extra. Mm-hmm. But if you take the money out first and then you say, OK, now with the rest of it, I can take care of finances and all that. And that's how it worked. So it was a combination of that. Uh, the career where the fee would go up yeah. or I would get busy, busier, you know, and with age, as they say, you get wiser, you know, as you get older, not, not everybody does. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know a lot of stupid ass older people, man, but, you know, and I know a lot of smart, really smart young people. Yeah. So, you know, that, that kind of went out the window, but it's, I think that has more to do with how you grow up. Yeah. How was your upbringing? Like you how how was your upbringing? It was good. Yeah, it was good. I mean, <clears throat> it was good. It was dangerous, mm. but because see, people don't know, it, it, there's a stigma that happens. You know, like when a black person, like I call it the Obama syndrome. Mm. If you speak well, if you're articulate, yeah, if you have a certain uh, level of intelligence then a lot of the black community will tend to say, oh, he's he's a white brother, or, you know. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is, you just bettered yourself, and you yeah. got a good education, and you were lucky enough, mm-hmm. you know. <clears throat> and in the hood, we call it code switching. I've never so heard that saying. What'd you say? I've never heard that saying. Oh, you never heard I've it? Never code heard switching. that saying. So what happens is you have almost like two personas. Okay. The one in your hood where you grew up in the neighborhood where you're hanging out with your homies, you know, your people in the hood, your family, whoever. Yeah. And you can say and do certain things and act a certain way. But then when you go into the corporate world, yeah, 
then you can't necessarily bring that hood mentality into that situation because it's not going to benefit you. Yeah. It's kind of like when Dave Chappelle was up on stage dropping an M-bomb, you know, I was at home laughing my ass off and I'm watching it with all my friends and we're getting every single joke Joke, and it's no big deal because we grew up with it. Our parents and grandparents and everybody used to, you know, play cards and say that shit. Yeah. But he said he he looked at the crowd and saw a bunch of white people and they weren't laughing with him. They were laughing at him. Mm. And that's when it, it clicked and he was like, damn, this isn't the venue for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's certain shit that was in the hood that didn't need to leave the hood, you know, and it's it's a it's a weird dichotomy, but that's how I grew up. So I was in the hood, man. I was on Northwest Side Detroit. Yeah. Uh Grand River and Finkel. And I caught the bus to school. And the thing is, I had to I went to Cast Tech. Okay. And for people who don't know, Cast Tech is a, a technical school. It's a, uh, it's like a college prep school. Yeah. Now it's a public school, and what happens in Detroit is wherever you live in that neighborhood, that's what school you go to, basically. Yeah. Right. So wherever you live, that's the school you go to. It's just regional. Mm-hmm. But with Cast Tech, it was only one of two high schools in the city where you had to take a test to get in. Ah, uh, okay. Because it was a vocational school, you had a curriculum, and it was advanced it was yeah. really advanced so i was lucky that my mom just woke me up when i was like get get dressed i gotta take you down for this test and i was like what you know because i was in eighth grade and i was like what is it she's like this is for high school and i'm like why would i have to take a test you know redford is right this is my note you got to take a test i thought i was gonna be going to cooley or something <laughs> and then i went and <laughs> you know about cooley cooley yeah. and then uh got in and went in there and i was like just opened that that high school changed my life really wow and a lot of people went there big sean went to cast tech mm. Aaliyah went to cast tech yeah we have so many great alumni like if you google cast tech detroit alumni you won't believe really? the people who went there yeah yeah anyone who watches the the watches this they should do that cast tech detroit alumni and they're gonna be like that school has turned out some amazing people yeah and it's not just uh, an art school. Mm. It's uh, they would they would have classes for auto mechanic, you know. Yeah. For I wasn't even in I was in music classes, but my main thing was architecture. Oh, really? Architectural design. Yep. Did Drafting you, and architecture. Did you study that after? I did. Yeah. Only wow. for like two years. Yeah. When we went to university at Wayne State. Nice. But then I realized how much. Well, my my high school teacher, one of them, Mr. Katie, he always told us, he was like, I know you guys want to be architects and this and that, and I'm here to teach you and I'm here to help you learn, but if you don't get, you know, into an apprenticeship, I'm going to tell you exactly how it's going to go. He would break it down raw, you know, like you're going to spend this much time in college, you're going to get out, you're going to have to do an apprenticeship, you don't get paid shit, you're going to do this, and then at the end of all that, you're only going to make this much money. Yeah. And we were like, what? He goes, so now you got to pay back your student loans. He was breaking it down. So he was setting up apprenticeships for people while they were in high school. Oh, wow. So which, you were ahead which, of the curve. Which realistically, like, let's be honest, let's be real, especially in America. Like, <clears throat> why aren't people doing that now? Because it's like, 
Like, why is it still so backwards? Because, like, the amount of money it costs to go to university is ridiculous. I'm sorry I'm laughing, man. It's, we have tried to figure this shit out, and we stopped because it, it drives you insane trying to figure I swear, if you try to figure out, like you said, not to be political, but if you try to figure out education yeah. in America, the healthcare system yeah. oof, in America, um... I mean, just certain basic human rights and yeah. certain uh, things that if you if you invest in people, then they're going to make your community better, right? Yeah. But if you make your people go broke, then they're not really going to take care of, yeah. of the environment that's the around them. Yeah. Or the people who made them broke. <laughs> you know what I mean? Of course. My, my saying is the way we make a better world is make everyone rich. And, that, and, and I think life's not about money. It's really not like we can all enjoy a lot of things. Like, I, like my, I grew up poor when I was a lot younger and we, we had nothing, but we, we still had the best time as a family. Um, but my parents were surrounded around people that worked hard and they worked hard and became very successful. And, but I think if you, if you're surrounded by people that aren't necessarily successful and aren't putting the drive in and aren't doing all of that when, and in America you have communities of that, like generations yeah. and generations of that. Yeah. And that's when, yeah, no one, no one earns great money. Everyone gets fucked over and then you just, it's a circle circle of. And then poverty. that circle gets darker and darker Yeah, where you start to either lash out or you might say, okay, you know, I like what they got. I'm not going to work for it. I'm going to take it. Exactly. You know what I mean? Okay. I might carjack somebody. I might do this. And it's not for survival. It's out of, you know, anger and frustration and yeah. hate. Well, it's you also know? like, I don't want to kind of downgrade people that do it as well. But it's also like, I have nothing to live for. Yeah, yeah. If I have nothing like to live no for. Hope, no prospects. And what's the point? Fuck it. Like, exactly. Fuck it. And and I think that's where it kind of, the buck kind of stops. Whereas like you, you have to help a whole community. It's like, let's say for instance, the school, like Kaz Tech, like mm-hmm. education changes kids' lives, changes oh, kids' lives. Seriously. Like if you didn't go to Kaz Tech, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation today. No, no. And it was a, it was a double-edged sword for me because, like I said, I had to catch the bus, right? Yeah. So, Cast Tech, it's so funny. I live in Northwest Detroit when I was growing up. Yeah. And that's like Grand River and Finkel. Mm-hmm. Cast Tech was Grand River and Cass downtown. Yeah. So it's a forty-five minute bus ride. Mm-hmm. Right. Anyway, where you're going or coming back home, you have to pass by at least three different. Uh, public high schools, yeah, you know, like some some raw ass yeah. high schools, the neighborhood ones where you're like, okay, you know, this isn't even my hood, yeah, yeah. and I'm going through four different hoods to get to my high school and then coming back. So you would have to fight every other day, yeah, get into an argument, but you had to stand your ground because they thought everybody cast was soft, yeah, because it was a school for smart kids. Mm. But they didn't realize, you know, a lot of these kids live in the hood yeah. and they're trying to get out of that situation. They just happen to go to cast. Mm. So 
there was a little divide, you know, in the cast tech because there were a lot of, you know, wealthy kids there. Of course. And yeah. the, the kids who came from well-to-do families. But, you know, so I'm at, at this amazing school and I get all this good energy and then I got to go and ride the bus and make sure that I have enough of my friends with me in case something pops off <laughs> that we can handle it. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was crazy, man. Oh, That's why man. It's, it's, it's just, you know, I wouldn't trade it. No, it's but, made you who you are today. Yeah, it doesn't make it a, a a good. It makes a good story, but it's not. It wasn't a good situation. It, it, yeah, you're right. It's made you who you are. It's, it's a great story, but it doesn't mean that it's right. Yeah, I mean, growing up here in gunshots every night is just not good, dude. I can talk about it. I, like when I moved <clears> to Detroit, like in the first year, like my next door neighbor's house got shot up in broad daylight. <laughs> Welcome to Detroit. <laughs> and like, there's, I don't know if you've heard of that app called Citizen. Oh no, I think I have. It's wild. Don't download it. You're <laughs> you're literally, especially in Detroit, because it tells you all the crime oh. that's going on lo- locally in the in the area. And yep. it's like literally like you you hear it's it's the same for me. It's like you hear gunshots regularly, and you then see like woman stabbed man on her freeway 300 yards away oh. and you're like fuck like this is this is real and and i, yeah. I think it's like an eye-opener like we're so lucky like obviously you live in multiple places but living in in amsterdam or the netherlands like we're so lucky in certain in europe in on, the, on, lucky, the, on that level like we can walk down the street and not have to worry. And you know, the the only downside to that for me is I didn't even realize that I had developed PTSD yeah. from growing up in Detroit. Yeah, I bet. Loud noises, yeah. you know, always watching over my shoulder. And it's funny because Ann and I decided that we were going to go see this cranial sacral uh, therapist, mm. you know, because she has anxiety and she needed some uh, some help with the anxiety. Yeah. And so she signed me up, too, because she's like, well, you live with me. <laughs> you deal with my anxiety, so I'm going to get you some help, too. Yeah. So I was like, man, you know, black people, the, the whole school, black people don't believe in therapy, you know. It's not called depression. It's called being sad, and, you know. Yeah. The whole usual shit of the knives. And then I went, and it was... It's almost like Reiki, but it, mm. it touches you okay. and he can sense your blood flow. Mm. And if you have any health issues or stress and all this, and he tries to help the blood flow better yeah. and more effective. And it worked. And I was he was telling me things about myself and I was shocked. It was like, you seem like you suffered like some trauma, but it wasn't a physical. He was just telling me all this stuff and he was telling me how I can't relax mm. and how I'm tense. And then he was, before I even laid down and he was doing a process, he was looking at me and he goes, okay, I want you to do one thing. And I was like, well, he goes, do this. Just put your shoulders down. He's like, you're always yeah. walking around on the fence, huh? And I was like, yeah. So I told him the whole scoop. And I was like, yeah, you know, I used to do this. And we hear gunshot and all that. And he was like, he said, I'm going to tell you this. And I know it's going to sound simple and it's, it's not going to be something you can you know, it's not going to cure you today. He's like, yeah. you're not in Detroit every day anymore. Yeah. He's like, how often do you go there? I told him, oh, you know, we go back three times a year. He's like, 
when you're there, you know, do, do your usual. He's like, but when you're here, you're in, you're in, in the Netherlands now. He's like, just put your, he's like, whenever you, you feel tense, just stop yourself and then release all the tension in your body. And all this time, I never noticed how much I was walking around tensed mm -hmm. up all the time. It makes me sad, man. If I'm honest, like it makes me really sad thinking about it because like, like I moved to Detroit, like I chose to move to Detroit. I was going to say, you, you, that was a, my wife would say, that was a choice. <laughs> like <laughs> She looks at me all the time. I do something. She goes, that was a choice. <laughs> <laughs> like I chose to there. So like, I, I kind of knew what, I didn't fully know what I was going into, but I, I, I kind of got the, the gist pretty quickly. Um, but like, and you moved to Detroit, Detroit. Yeah, you didn't go into uh, Midtown, no, or Southfield. You were in Detroit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also, like, I think the thing that makes me sad and pretty emotional is that, like, I can leave. You've left, and right now, as we speak, how many people? Not just in Detroit, but just it generally just suffering from going through exactly the same stuff as you went through and that yeah. we'll never be able to leave. I, I know, man. And, and it, it, it pains me, you know, that was the hardest decision ever was to leave Detroit. Mm. It was, it, it was weird. It was like the craziest coin you've ever flipped because mm. heads or tails, like stay in Detroit or leave Detroit. I would have loved both. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But to, to like literally move residents, it was tough. But I got to the point where I said, man, I'm a grown ass man and yeah. I can't sit here and be looking over my shoulder just to go use the ATM or just to pump some gas. Yeah. And, and the more I reconcile with myself that living like that is not normal, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like raising kids in that environment shouldn't 100%. be normal. Yeah. You know, I, I grew up listening to, gunshots and having to lay on the floor on New Year's Eve and not be in front of a window because a random bullet might come through because people shoot in the air on New Year's Eve. Yeah. That's not normal. Yeah. Trick or treat. And there's, you know, and this is the early days yeah. and you got to worry about perverts, yeah. razors in the, in the candy and the Snickers and all this. And I was like, this shit is not normal. So I reconciled and I was like, I'm out. Yeah. You know, I did my time. You know, now I have to reclaim the second act of my life and, yeah. and live peacefully and as worry-free as, as I want to be. And, you know, it's a healthier feeling for me all around. And it's cool because, you know, so many people left and they, I get a little more, you know, I get criticized a little more than most because I, I was going to ask. I don't know. This. Maybe people they think that I'm I'm super Detroit, yeah. and I you know I am. So when when Jeff left, it wasn't like you know oh you you left Detroit. When Rob moved to Alabama, when Octave One moved to Atlanta, when Juan went to L.A., when Eddie went to L.A., Kay Han went to Atlanta. But when Bone leaves, you left us. Yeah. You abandoned us. I was motherfucker. <laughs> let, let me live. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. live. You know what I mean? And I. It's funny because I would come back to Detroit all the time, but I wasn't necessarily coming back and doing the same shit that I used to do. Yeah. So I come back and I wouldn't play. Yeah. I come back and I wouldn't hang out with the same people, clubs or yeah. bars or restaurants. Yeah. I come back and I would just kick it at the crib yeah. and I would hang out with my family and my friends. Mm. 
and they had grown and they had kids yeah. and they, so that's what I like to do. I like to hang out at a barbecue instead of going to the club. Yeah. I like to, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go bowling instead of, you know, kicking in at Belle Isle or something. Because I was I was grown, you know. It's like I don't need to do that shit anymore. Yes, yeah, my job is hectic enough. Exactly, it's people wise yeah. for me to have to tolerate being in crowds and all that shit on an off day. My my worst. This sounds terrible, and people, I, it doesn't sound terrible to me, and <laughs> it, it probably you can relate. But you'll never catch me in a club if I don't have to DJ. <laughs> <laughs> Like, unless unless a re- unless a really close friend is playing and I and I have a night off, but if I have yeah. a night off, you're, I'm gonna either cook some really nice food for some friends or my family. <laughs> there what, you go. go watch a film. Like, I am not going to a fucking bed club like ever. I mean, I do it very rarely, but yeah. it, like you said, it's got to be close friends are yeah. playing. Yeah. Close friends or, you know, somebody who I really uh, enjoy hearing. Yeah. Yeah. But to, to put yourself in that in that environment voluntarily. Yeah. Fuck that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You feel like you've outgrown that. Huh? Yeah. I To be fair, I think the, the issue with me is my first ever experience in a club was me DJing. Mm-hmm. Oh, so like man. my first show was when I was like 13. And that was my first time in a club. Yeah. So I was like, I never did that rave thing. I never did the whole like, let's go to clubs, oh, let's go rave, and then shit. let's go do it. I was into like house and techno way before I was even going clubbing. Oh man, that's crazy. I that's that's a gotta be such a weird thing for you. Yeah. So it's like I actually don't enjoy going to clubs so you've never been a raver yeah never, never. holy shit dude i've never you missed it <laughs> yeah man like no i i i totally agree i think there's parts of it that i i miss massively because yeah like i've never i've been to my dad and i would go to festivals together oh, and like nice. he'd take me to to see shows and stuff like that but like i'd never been i've never been to like a dance music festival to go mm. to a dance music festival. Okay. I've only ever been working at one. So like I see, it completely I see. changes the dynamic for me. It's like if if I go to one and I'm not working, it may I I'm like, this is weird. Like I don't enjoy it. <laughs> That's gotta be weird for you. <laughs> Super Holy weird. shit, I can't even imagine. Yeah. Dude. But it's one thing to say, you know, I don't go to clubs and go to festivals. But if you've never been if that hasn't been, you know, your lifestyle, then it's gonna feel really out of place for you yeah i i love it when i'm going to play it's my favorite time i think it's just like it's just what you're used to right yeah you know people say do you get nervous they ask you know no i get excited i get anxious like i want to play i want to play yeah yeah you know i'm ready get the other dj off and get on like (laughs) yeah i I mean you know inside i'm saying that but outside i'm like oh take your time yeah (laughs) (laughs) play one more if you want (laughs) yeah unless Um, they're rocking if i've had a couple of kids where somebody's really like killing it and i don't want to stop them yeah i'm like this is bad for the party yeah no matter what i'm gonna bring to stop this dj now would be bad for this party and i'm thinking as a whole yeah because in detroit we used to it was all about the the big picture you know for the Mm. party for the event but sometimes you show up and you you wouldn't play it's such a 
old school way of looking at it. And I, I mean old school in the most positive way. Um, it's changed completely. Oh, wow. It's changed so much that, I mean, everything is to the, the minute, the second, the, the, the noise meters, the, I don't even know, man, mm. everything has changed about it. And the business aspect of it is really what turned a lot of artists off, a lot of Detroit people who either don't travel as much, don't yeah. play as much out. They're frustrated. I don't blame them. <clears throat> but like you said, it, it, it it's to me, it's like a, a version of when I grew up, you learn certain things from the streets, right? Yeah. So I kind of graduated into a, another realm. And it's not like you go streets, then this. No, no it's like streets, then as this. So you add to it yeah, and you yeah. broaden your horizons, right? Yeah. So I got on that tip of, okay, I have to adapt while maintaining who I am. Yeah. How can I do that shit? You know? How did I'm you not, do that? Basically, I listened to people around me. Yeah. I used to be so stubborn and so uh, hard-headed yeah. that I wouldn't take any advice I wouldn't, I was just like, this is the way I'm doing it. And that's that. <clears throat> but then when I started to say, okay, I'll hear you out. And then the idea to me that used to sound ridiculous the ideas, they weren't as ridiculous if I could implement my version of someone else's idea. Yeah. You know, like with social media, mm. you know, it's a double-edged sword. I, I hated it for the longest time. Like hated. Yeah. But Everybody's like, oh, it's necessary. You have to do this. And I'm like, it's not really necessary. I said, but if I do it the way I want to do it, then I'll be happy. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to be on there doing some tap dance shit or, you know, having to do what, what they call content. Yeah. You know, I don't know, hanging out the window from a, a bra strap, you know, <laughs> swinging back and forth, you know, while baking a cake. I'm not doing stupid shit, you know yeah. what I mean? Just to get people to say, oh, you know, yeah. I don't know him, but look at that. Yeah. I don't need that attention. I really don't, no. you know, but I I try and see the the purpose in things. I try and see the, the, the upside of things a lot more than the downside because for so much of my life, I saw the downside of a lot of shit. You know, what was the was, difference when you when you when that mentality switched for you though, where you were like the you saw the upside in things? Like, did your life change? Yeah, yeah. Actually, it 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 was a moment for me. Like you know, I felt kind of enlightened. Yeah, and it wasn't just a social media thing. It wasn't. It was everything. Mm. It was opening myself up to uh, different aspects, whether it's. Uh, the way I eat, yeah. the way I, I uh, take care of myself, mm. cycling, you know, yeah. in, in Amsterdam. I was like, man, I ain't trying to be riding on no bike. Let's <laughs> just take an Uber, you know? <laughs> but now, where we live, you know, a little bit outside of the city, it's rural. So yeah. to ride your bike is a really enjoyable, yeah. you know, meditative thing. You know, we live across from a dairy farm. Wow. You know, so I wake up and it's only 15 minutes from Amsterdam, you know. Yeah. So to wake up and hear these cows mooing and all that, it's a different thing mm. from gunshots. I was going to say, it's a bit different to gunshots. 
So that's a different level. But I can still be that guy when I'm in Detroit and turn it on and be like, okay, you know, that's make cool. sure you don't yeah. leave shit in the car, yeah, yeah. lock your door, blah, 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 watch your back. Yeah. You know what I mean? That doesn't go away. Yeah. That's why when people say, oh, he left, I I left, but Detroit, I took Detroit with me. You know what I mean? I probably have more Detroit in my, in my body than what's left in certain areas of Detroit. 100%. Because you grew up, you grew up in the era when Detroit was bad. Yeah. And now Detroit is luckily, (laughs) and I'm really happy that it is, it's on the up. It's it's slowly going. There's still terrible places that needs a lot of work being put in but oh yeah even when i first started going to detroit eight years ago nine years ago you wouldn't go downtown like (laughs) you just wouldn't i mean that's where i was going to school i was going to school around the corner from what they call cast corridor yeah 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 because do you know now you know the girl you know the girls girls and boys club there yeah yeah yeah. so one of my friends owns a um a fashion label called deviate fashion um Uh and they have their offices in the girls and boys uh building and i think that's pretty yeah and they do like a lot of a lot of work with um the boys and girls club where they like teach teach the kids how to like run a fashion label and run business and like create their own fashion it's really interesting what they're doing really interesting it's necessary man i mean as much as i <laughs> because that's that's my outlook changed remember yeah. you know i said i enlightened myself i felt enlightened because before i would be upset at like man i this i remember cast corridor was the real detroit and, yeah but then i'm advocating for a time when the area was just full of drugs yeah. and prostitution and poverty mm. so which one is it do i want that back yeah or am i just sick of all the rich white people who came in, you know, and gentrified the area, you know, but my beef isn't with the people who moved into Detroit. My beef is with the people who decided we're going to develop downtown and ignore the neighborhoods. So they were developing Midtown, but if my streetlight goes out, you know, on Warwick or Auburn, I, I can't get it fixed for weeks. Yeah. Yeah. My house got robbed and I called the police and they were like, is a, is a perpetrator still there? And I was like, no, you know, we clearly got called my boys. I saw the house, I called my boys, they came over. We went through the house with guns, checking. Nobody's there. Call the cops. Is the perpetrator still? No. Okay, well, we're not coming out. Yeah, it's crazy. You have to come to the police station and fill out a report. It's crazy. My mail would come at seven o'clock at night. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, dude, so, like we, it happened for, for us the other day. Literally a, month, a couple of months ago, we didn't have electric for four days, and there was no storm or anything, right? It was like there was like a bit of a storm, but it's like uh-huh. it like that in England. Like I, I've ne- like the longest I've ever not had my electric out in England is literally an, an hour. Oh man, damn! And, and like Detroit is days sometimes. Yeah, days, and also it's like traffic lights just stop working. In Detroit, yeah, and these are all the, these are all the things that I like. I had to learn, obviously, because it's like I'm like, why, oh, why is these traffic lights not working? Like, what's? Why is there a chair in the middle of the freeway? Like, <laughs> not a not a folding chair, like no. a, a chair that you put in your living room. Yeah, a chair. And I'm just yep. like, wow, this is 
This is Keep driving, you'll see the sofa in two miles. Oh, 100%. <laughs> That's true, man. You see all kinds of shit on the freeway. Man. Yeah. It's like, a, it's, I always used to tease and say it was like a video game. Yeah. Like we had our own, you know, GTA, because you got to avoid obstacles on the freeway. <laughs> you got to try not to hit a pothole oh, so it doesn't yeah. bust your tire. Uh, which they don't fix. They just fill it and then it gets jacked up again so they can get paid the next year. Yeah. Your street lights out. All the time. You know, somebody's stealing your, your package off your porch. You can't even, you can't have something sit on your porch. You just can't. No. It's gone. <clears throat> yeah, you know? we, we had it. We had, uh, so I rent a room out to a couple and he's actually a dope techno producer. Mm-hmm. Um, guy who goes under, you might actually know his music. It goes under the name as Un, U U N. It's like very melodic y, melodic, mm-hmm. like hypnotic. It, it's really, I'll send you it. It's really good. But his girlfriend's like an avid, like she works it in, in with plants. So like her day job is to go look after plants in commercial buildings and things like that. Oh, yeah. She ordered, <laughs> she, she ordered like a bag of soil on Amazon. Like no word of a lie, that bag of soil got stole. <laughs> what are you gonna do with a bag of soil? <laughs> they must have thought it like it was because it was in Amazon packaging. They thought obviously oh, yeah. it was like something okay. else. They were probably pissed when they opened it, but like, oh yeah, <laughs> that bag is that soil. They know it was a mark. Crazy. <laughs> you put it in an Amazon box, it's gone. Yeah, it's crazy. It's gone. I mean. This is the city that, that decided instead of trying to steal your car, we're going to wait until you start it up and get it nice and warm. And then we're going to come and just take it from because we want the keys too. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, man. There's some innovative criminals. There's some lazy ass criminals, shady. It's all sorts, man. But and it made up, you know, the, the craziest time for me to grow up. And I, I'm not mad. That's why music no. was was... The, the the respite it was therapy and i think that's what i kind of want to go into because we're talking the truths about detroit and we're talking about the truths of america and i think some people might be like why are you talking so much shit on it but it's like it's not shit it's the truth no it's real talk it's the truth but it's like, like we said i wouldn't be who i am without it exactly so and, i would i would not trade it for anything and i i wouldn't trade it for anyone because it's look what detroit has given us in the last 60 70 years like 100 years look at what detroit has given the world and i from the motor industry to motown to techno like it's a city that has given the world three things that we couldn't live without and that's the most beautiful thing about it man and there's so much that people don't know as far as like uh the fashion industry Mm -hmm. as far as um, I don't even want to call it almost the death metal metal. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There was this 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 group I think in Detroit it was called Death. Okay, and it was an all black metal band. Wow, in the seventies, and it was just like out there thrashing mm. shit, and they weren't getting any traction because they were black. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I'm pretty sure they were called Death. Well, also also look at the hip hop as well. Yeah, like, the hip hop shop. Yeah, with uh. Maurice Malone mm-hmm. doing his clothing line yeah. in the early days, you know, pre, I'd say pre FUBU and, and cross colors and yeah, all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he was doing it locally and the hip hop shop was off the chain. They were doing the, the ciphers and the freestyles mm. and the battles. 
and you get DJs coming out of there. You get Jay Dilla from there. You get yeah. Des Andres. You get uh, House Shoes. A bunch of dope ass people. You know, all yeah. the rappers. I forget the fashion. Can... If you look at Carhartt, yeah. like look what Carhartt's done. Yep. No one Car- knows Carhartt. No one knows Carhartt's from Detroit. No. Like and no they one. weren't even. They weren't even considered fashion. No. You know, it's a work gear company. Well, it's, it's still dope. not in Detroit. It's still not fashion in Detroit, and this is the best thing no. about it. <laughs> no, it's work clothes. Yeah, it's hustling it's clothes. It's straight up work clothes. Yeah. yeah. You I, don't want your shit to tear up, you buy Carhartt. Yeah, literally. And every, It'll last forever. Every, everyone in the winter was wearing big Carhartt coats in Detroit. It's like... It's oh, it yeah. All my family, you work in a plant. I mean, and you don't want to get injured or like... You could walk past something and it could scrape. Yeah, you know, yeah. if you got the right jacket on, you're not worried about it. Mm. But you have on a winter coat, it might cut you or something. Yeah. But yeah, Carhartt was, was the shit, man. It still is. Yeah, but it do. wasn't fashion. It's, it's not fashion in Detroit. No, not at all. Um, I want to go. I want to talk a little bit more about how Detroit <clears throat> got you to where you're at with your music, and kind of how it started. Um. Mm-hmm. how the i just love hit detroit history so i'm sure you probably spoke about this <laughs> so many times but I, this is just <laughs> selfishly for me um how it kind of started for you with like the introduction of techno and house music or electronic music how did that start for you uh i was in high school yeah and listening to the radio you would hear these weird songs <clears throat> played on the radio by this uh this DJ Electrify Mojo. Electrify Mojo, yeah. And he's essential to every person from my generation and a little bit before. Is he to, still alive? Their... Mojo, yeah. 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 As far as I know, I mean I'm I've never been in contact with him. I never talked to him, but I'm if he had passed away, I'm I'm positive the city would come to a screeching halt. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. To honor that man. Uh, pivotal to everything and anything music-wise yeah. in, in Detroit when it comes to techno. Because he was playing these tracks. And between him and being able to go <clears throat> after school and listen to uh, the scene, watch the scene on TV, it's a yeah. dance show, a local dance show in Detroit, and hear new music mm. that wasn't, it just was different. Yeah. You know, and it just made your body want to move. You know, it was body music back then. And from that point, I had a couple of friends who used to go to this club, you know, as I got older. And it was, they called, it was called Music Institute. Mm. And they kept telling me about it. <clears throat> and I hadn't even, like, I would sneak into clubs if I could yeah. with my friends. But the goal back then was to go to a club so you could drink. <clears throat> You know, in Detroit and most of America, the drinking age is, uh, in all of America, the drinking age is 21 or over. Yeah. So if you don't go to Canada, where it was 18, then you'd have to sneak into a club. Yeah. You know, so we were sneaking to close this drink, but then my friend was like, yeah, you got to come to this after hours place. It doesn't open until midnight or one. And, you know, and we were like, okay, so went, couldn't get in too young it's like damn so we went back again next week and then snuck in like went to the back yeah and paid the uh, security <laughs> and i'll never forget it was dark you couldn't see shit it was one strobe light 
And they'll go to the bar. There's no alcohol. I was like, what the fuck? There's juice, like fruit juice. And I was like, what kind of shit is this? <laughs> but then the more you're there, you listen, you start hearing this music. And you're like, man, this is crazy. Mm. And then you're seeing these flashes of pictures because the strobe. So every image you see is like a photo. You didn't know where the DJ was, you know, until you finally enter into the room and you look up and you see the DJ booth is way at the top, mm. you know, and it's lit, you know, backlit. So you could see, and I think it was Derek May who was playing, either him or D Win. Yeah. And this music was coming out. And I was like, this is crazy. Mm. And the best part to me was it wasn't about what people looked like, it wasn't about what they were wearing. Yeah. Um, it was free. Mm. It was just everybody was free to be what they wanted to be. And I had snuck into like uh Club Heaven before when Ken Collier yeah. used to play and in places like that. <laughs> but the Music Institute was like that on steroids, you know, because Heaven was a gay club. Yeah. So it was about the music, but it was straight up gay club. Yeah. And so it was like a safe place yeah. for, you know, for the community to be. And the Music Institute was open as well as Heaven, but it was open to everybody. And it was easily accessible to people who wouldn't normally know about heaven yeah so it was kind of backtracking you go and hear Derek or you know d win and then you find out about ken collier and you go to heaven yeah. you know you kind of backtrack it where was heaven where where yeah it was uh off of six mile okay and woodward yeah yeah that place was bananas man it was in the hood it was like on the border you know but it was in the hood it was funny because Everybody kept saying, be careful. You know, when I told him, yeah, I'm going to go to heaven, be careful. <clears throat> and I'm like, I'm going to the gay club for the first time. <laughs> be careful. <clears throat> you know what I mean? And I didn't understand what they meant. I got there. You would never know. Like, honestly, just rolling up in the parking lot, you would never, ever guess it was a gay club. Really? Because it was all hood motherfuckers in the parking lot. Yeah. Like straight up gangsters. You know what I mean? So go in the club, everybody's dancing, everybody's having a good time. Next thing you know, you see some commotion and the crowd opens up a little, the music stops. And this big ass booming voice comes, children, children, if you can't behave yourselves, I'm not going to play any more of this fucking music. I was like, what is going on? So, so there was a fight and somebody pulled out a knife on the dance floor. <laughs> On the dance floor, I've never seen that shit happen before. I've been to parties where they got shot up, yeah. or you know, you just hear a pop out, or somebody couldn't get in. But to be on the dance floor and pull a knife, <laughs> that's some gangster shit. Yeah. <laughs> that's not weak. You know what I mean? Yeah. You pull out a gun and waving around, but to pull a knife and say, look, my friend, I'm gonna get close to you, I'm gonna stab <laughs> you. And then to not even shut the whole thing down. Cause every time in Detroit yeah. when somebody you hear gunshots, the party's over. Game over, yeah. But somebody pull a knife, King Kyle would just get on the mic and be like, look, you know, and he would say something and they would be like, fuck it. Put yeah. that shit away. And then go back to the party. Wow. <clears throat> I was like, this is crazy. And then after we're leaving and there was so much like drama in the parking lot, people arguing, people about to, you know, fight, somebody about to get shot. 
pulling guns. I was like, this is the wildest club I've ever been to in my <laughs> life. And it's the gay club. That's why everybody's like, be careful. Be careful. Heaven ain't no joke. <clears throat> so that's when I, I started to understand that my perception of what gay people uh, act like, what they look like, who they were, was completely off. Yeah. Because anybody could be whoever they wanted to be, and you'd never know. Yeah. You know what I mean? Until they decided to let you know. Yeah. And that's when I knew. I was like, okay. So I went to heaven, went to the Music Institute, and I got hooked on the music. And I just wanted to hear more of it. Mm -hmm. And I, at the time, the only way you could hear it was either on the radio or if you bought the vinyl. <laughs> so I went to record time, to the record shop. You know, my friend Pete, yeah. Sneaky Pete, we call him, took me to record time and was like, you know, this is where you can get all that shit. So I went to record time. <laughs> And then uh, by right, if you go up and down six and seven mile, there was good record shops. There was by right, there was Chauncey's, yeah. there was professionals. Rob Hood used to work at professionals. Moody Man and Rick Wild used to work at by right. Um, yeah, Huckabee worked at record time. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> you know, Al Esther used to work at, uh, what was it, Melodies and Memories. Mm. So there was all these going through you could go. Melodies you know, and Memories and, is still going. <clears throat> man and you know what's dope about that it's not just the vinyl it's all the collectibles yeah the lunch boxes yeah, and the yeah, figurines yeah. and the, that's dope they do cool shit gary had the you had a vision man i mean but that's that's true to detroit you know and you go and dig and i used to see jay dilla in this record shop i can't remember the name of it it was in ferndale i remember on nine mile mm. and he would just go in there and get a stack and then dig and dig and dig and go back the next day and dig and dig. You know, that's what we do. We go to each, whatever record shop has vinyl, wherever there is vinyl. It doesn't have to be a record shop. Just go. You just go and ask them. Salvation Army, there's a bunch of vinyl there. You go and you dig, mm. you know. But I got into the music that way. And it just gave me this this feeling of, I say freedom all the time, but freedom, a sense of futurism yeah because i couldn't put my finger on what it was where it was from i didn't know detroit techno was from detroit until i met you know and saw Derek and juan yeah and i was like this i was so proud because i fell in love with the music and then i go this shit is from here mm. cybertron is from here you know holy shit and then i knew all the labels and i go and visit people and so it just grew from there <clears throat> and I ended up playing like residencies in clubs. You know, I would, I would buy my vinyl and I was working full time. I was going to school. So it was tough because that vinyl cost, especially imports. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so I would have to justify buying the vinyl. Mm. You know, what, what am I buying it for if I can't, you know, make money off of it? Yeah. <laughs> so I had to limit it, you know, and that was tough cutting down your stack in the, in the vinyl shop. Like, damn, I want all these, <laughs> but I can only get these. But then uh, Thomas Barnett uh, used to come by and I would make these mixtapes. Yeah. And I started selling these mixtapes for like five bucks a piece. Mm. And then he took one and gave it to this promoter who was doing a night at Shelter in Detroit, who was looking for a resident. And uh, the guy was like, yeah, you know, tell Bone to come down. So I went down and I started playing those 
the night was called Love Club. Yeah. And did it. And it was dope, you know, because I ended up as a resident there <clears throat> and used to play Shelter, St. Andrews, uh, this club in Pontiac called Industry, mm. Velvet Lounge, Lush and Hemtramck, Motor, of course. <clears throat> but that's how it started. I was doing the residencies and I started getting booked for the warehouse parties. Yeah. And there I am now being able to play with some of the people who... I looked at and was like, holy shit, you know, that's Rob Wood, that's Richie Houghton over there, that's such and such. And these guys weren't, they were older than me, but not, you know, that much older. Yeah. So that's what was really cool about it, you know? And then I ended up meeting Matt Mike, and it just, it, it flowed, you know? And I got along with pretty much everybody in Detroit. Yeah. Um, uh, there were some people I could hang out with, and a lot of people were just colleagues. Yeah. You know? But I always kept to myself as far as not having a clique or a crew or mm. you know because you would have like Juan Kevin Derrick yeah Stacy Guinea Carl um you know the waves they called it yeah, I yeah. never fit into any wave I they can't tell me I still to this day when people say what wave of Detroit thing I'm like, I don't know <laughs> I'm like yeah point something I don't know in between <laughs> I'm in between I don't know what layers but it's not on that it's point something yeah but because I was just individual, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's what helped me too, is I don't have loyalties to anybody besides myself yeah. and the city, you know, but the city's tough. The city will, will it'll raise you, <clears throat> you know, one way or another, but it won't nurture you, you know, past a certain point. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Totally. You know, I like, think. I think. From. I think. Also. I think it's. <clears throat> it's like anything. For me, like I like my, like where I kind of, my career really started was in Ibiza. For me, is I moved to Ibiza when I was seventeen. And, Damn. Yeah, and started <laughs> super young, and like I I got a residency by the time by the age of eighteen, and like, that's. Like I did three, four summers in Ibiza and mm -hmm. got to a point for me where I was like, I knew a bunch of people, but I was just a resident mm. and, and I had to step out of that to then take a next move in my career to be part of the actual industry rather than just being the resident or the- What was that move? <clears throat> I just left, just didn't go back yeah. and do a summer. And I I didn't go back and play until really until this year, like properly oh, properly this year. Yeah. Um. Like I've been back and done shows, but like not anything that I would be proud of or would talk about or like rave about. You. you know what I mean? And it's only like I I needed to take I needed to build my career outside of being an Ibiza resident. See, people people need to understand that. That's the best foundation you can have is being a resident. Yeah. <clears throat> but then you have to graduate. You have to graduate and, and move forward. And that's when you become an artist and you grow. Yeah. And that's what people didn't understand about me is that I had to leave. I had to stop playing Detroit. Yeah. You know, as much as I love Detroit, the scene there fell apart. Mm. It fell the fuck apart. I mean, if you go back and look, <laughs> there's this uh, there's this this uh, page I follow this account on Instagram, and they had this video, old videos from heaven, and you have this all 
you know, black gay crowd. <clears throat> and they're in there kicking and whacking and voguing and lip syncing. And then you see some old videos of the scene and the new dance show. And even maybe some footage from like some early raves yeah. or from the MI, which there's no video really I know of from MI from Music Institute. But if you look at the scene and you get the vibe of it, <clears throat> it's not me saying, you know, I can't stand that it's not black anymore. I can't stand that it's lost the essence of what it is. Yeah. It's completely flipped. So when I was playing Motor and we had good nights there and I'm bringing in, you know, DJs, and it's almost like a proving ground. It wasn't like, you know, come in and dominate Detroit for a night. No, it was like, I'm resident. Mm. You got to play after me. Now what? Yeah. Let's see how good you really are. Yeah, yeah. You know, we got Rolando on this now. We got such, such on this. Now. You play after them. Now let's see how good you really are. That's what it was. It was a proving ground. Mm. Like they got to come and really prove themselves. Yeah. And that went away. Yeah. So it just became a booking of, this person is a big name. Now yeah. we're going to bring him in. And that's that. And that's when I think the turning point, especially with Motor, when Motor decided to book like uh, Paul Oakenfold yeah. and Kiyoki yeah. and all that crap. No offense to them, <clears throat> but at the time, that's what everybody was like. What is this crap? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So when that came in, to me, that was the Changed. beginning and the scene because the clubs were already shutting down the warehouse parties. So that genuine, the authentic vibe and the whole essence of what was rave culture and warehouse parties and house parties and, you know, it was just gone. Yeah. And it had this great divide because you had the house heads you used to be able to have a party that was house and techno. Yeah, yeah. Then the house heads broke off. Mm. Because what I noticed is the, uh, the crowd that usually grows with the music is house. Yeah. Techno crowd is young, always young. Yeah. You know, there's older people in techno, but there's always a younger crowd. House, the people grow with it. It's mature. It's a bit more uh, like you can listen to it for longer. Yeah. Let's be honest. Yeah. And and the more that techno became about aggression as opposed to expression, it it just, you know, chipped away a lot of it vibrated a lot of the people yeah. who were funky and soulful out of it. Yeah. So it left a few of us, you know, to try and fight for that, that funky aspect, the the technical aspect, all the things that made it for me that made it makes it techno. Well, I <laughs> so think now, yeah, I think. Oh, sorry to butt in, but I think that's the, the the going back into today with what how people are throwing techno out. It's it's more of a marketing thing than actually anything, if my personal yeah. opinion. But it's like I was literally talking to a vision a couple of hours before on on another podcast. But like, it's not techno. No, no. He makes good some great shit. He makes great <laughs> but, shit. He makes amazing shit. Yeah. A vision makes some really good shit. Yeah. <clears throat> or as we call them in Detroit, A vision. A vision. Yeah. I call him A vision as well. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's a lot of shit. People say, oh, yeah, techno. And I'm like, no, that, yeah. I'm sorry. And that, that argument is just so lost on, on so many that it's been tired for me to even yeah, yeah. stand up for, you know, it's, it's a tough battle. But instead of arguing about it, I'd rather just try and show people my my opinion 
through the music and through the, the sets that I play. Well, I think the difference is, is it's about just being really authentically you. And yeah. like only you can be you, only I can be myself. Um, and if I do me the best possible <laughs> way, no one else can be like me. And for, exactly. for me, like for me growing up, like, I grew up, my like initial like growing up music in like electronic music was like funky soulful house, like defected kind of vibe frankie knuckles all of that kind of larry, oh, larry levin yeah. that was like my first introduction because i was djing with people that were a lot older than me and they were like showing me vinyl really of like all of the stuff that they love um and no one's ever going to take that away from what who i am like that's how i grew up that's that's what i listened yeah. to growing up it's the same with you like you listen to you grew up with real techno. Yeah. No one's ever going to take that away. Exactly. <laughs> it's, that's a true statement. I mean, that's what's missing mm. is a lot of the newer DJs weren't ushered in. Yeah. Weren't introduced to house or techno. They just entered. Yeah. And they entered on their own terms and their own way, which is cool. Yeah. But if you don't have that nurturing or that, you know, that mentor or consigliere or, you know, just even if you haven't uh, train spotted some labels or whatever, <laughs> then it, you're going to come in and you're not going to have the essence yeah. or understand the essence of what the scene is or what house and techno is. Mm. I mean, I can't say that that's a wrong way to enter, but <laughs> put it this way. If you start to, if you want to be a chef, <clears throat> you have to understand and you have to practice certain techniques right yeah, totally culinary yeah. aspects of science of of cutting of yeah. dicing of you know a chiffonade or whatever yeah. you have to understand what it is you can't just go in there and say well i cut it this way yeah you know it's not proper yeah. you know and then they don't want to hear that so it's the same with techno and house and everything else and djing you have to understand the foundation mm. respectfully you should want to yeah you know, and if you don't, then you're going to suffer well, in the long run. I agree. And this is one of the reasons why I started this podcast, because and I say this multiple times. So people that have heard this are probably going to be like, this is a fucking broken record. But <laughs> our genre, the, our genre that we work in, live in is still so new that the creators of this of the genres are still alive. And people aren't talking to them. Yeah. <clears throat> and, it's, and it's like, like I've been fully aware of who you are for years. Um, <laughs> I've never spoke to you previously to this apart from at Amsterdam and occasionally on Instagram. Yeah. But like, for me, it's just about how can, how can the, older generation the people that curated something that we all live and make a living from and enjoy the fruits of the previous generation's labor like how can we learn and how can we like show people where it came from because otherwise if people aren't talking about it you're just going to forget a whole history 
Yeah. And like realistically, like look at funk and soul. Look at rock. Yeah. Like realistically, <laughs> like it's all like, especially like Motown, right? Like there's there's barely any, there's barely anything <clears throat> apart from the music that's left. Yeah, no one. That's true. No one's there, kind of talking about how it came about, who wrote the records. Like, I didn't even know the other day until like there was like one guy that pretty much wrote every Motown record. <laughs> I didn't know this, like, until the other day. And it's like, why? Let's 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 take a bit of time out and let's like actually talk to the people and make friends with the people that actually made our genres. It's so important. I think. I think that's it because it's a, such a microwave society yeah. that kids, I don't want to say kids, but young people or people entering the scene want to be catapulted to this status. Yeah. And they have no clue, yeah. you know, of what they're entering, the arena that they stepped into. Mm. You know what I mean? So when they do get to this pinnacle and then they turn around and see somebody like me and they go, who is that? Yeah. And they see the respect or they see the, the credibility that I have, they're like, damn, you know? So in their own time, it comes and it has to be because of the way the world works today. It, it's sad, but it has to be a uh, both ways type thing. Mm -hmm. So I, I find myself reaching out to a lot of younger artists yeah. to try and whether it's just make a connection or mentor them a little or, just give them a little, hey, you know, yeah. I'm approachable. You, you know, no need to yeah. think that I'm standoffish or anything. If you ever want to talk about some shit or if you need advice, you know. And it's cool because I talk to a lot of people, you know, mm -hmm. especially a lot of the the big name younger artists who are out there. And I might just simply say something like, you know, tone down your schedule a little bit because you get sick <laughs> so much, you know, yeah. rest, yeah. you know, just whether it's fatherly advice or, you know, Uncle Bone or whatever. <laughs> I love that. You know what I mean? I love that. It's just, I think it's good because then they don't look at me like that old dude or, you know, yeah. oh, he's he's old school and that's it, you know, because I'll, I can be as old school as they want when they look at me or talk about me, but put them on the turntables next to me and see what happens. You'll fucking destroy them. You know? You'll destroy <laughs> I will destroy them all for now. <laughs> You think I'm old school? Watch this shit. No. Yeah, but that's but, the difference between old school and new school is that you you had to do shit because this, everyone oh, was doing shit. Like that's a good point. You had you had to stand above everybody because that was it. Like realistically, uh, there wasn't there wasn't any. No one was making real edits of records because you had to press it on vinyl. Like yep. so, like the whole DJ mentality is so different to what it is now where like you have to actually be a DJ. Like you had to, you couldn't just wave your hands no. or conduct the crowd. And even, dance. yeah. And even for me, like I can DJ, but also like all of most of my sets is my own music. So I know that nobody else is going to play the same set as me. I know that nobody's yeah. going to play the same records for me. That's the difference between what how i used to dj and how i dj now but like yeah. if you're if you're a d proper dj like you have to learn to dj and there's not <laughs> there's not many proper djs out there nowadays no i mean it, it's sad there's a lot of famous djs but not a lot of proper djs yeah 
You know, I mean, in Detroit, think of it this way. If you name or think of any two Detroit techno guys and you put them side by side and name me two Detroit people who sound exactly the same. Yeah. There's none. None. Everybody wanted to be an individual. Everybody wanted to sound different. They wanted their own sound, their own style. So I, which I love. You know what I mean? I love <laughs> about it. And that, that's techno to me. So to have people come and try and everyone sounds the same is, is foreign to Detroit people. Is, is it, uh, this is kind of where I'm going to question you. Is it techno mm -hmm. or is it about being an artist? You mean wanting to be different yeah or the way people are sounding the same about wanting to be different is it just a techno thing or is it just about act like you guys like i i find people that want to sound different they're actual artists they're actual people that and this isn't this I might see. this might really annoy people for me saying this like we've i feel like we've all copied people at some point in our careers just because that's what's happened but yeah. I, I think the real for me anyway is like the real artists that stay ground for the they stay the course of time is because they've done something different like look at look yeah. at the detroit guys look at you juan moody man like kev like rob like they're all done their own thing and they're still going yeah yeah and that's not because yeah. that's not because they're the, the creators of of a genre that's not part of it is but it's because they've just yeah. done their done their own thing, and I yeah. think how many people have you seen start techno, start in techno, and then their careers end very pretty. Five years later, they're not doing techno. They're not doing music. <laughs> I've seen so many. Exactly, and so many of them have been on like the 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 focus of the genre yeah. for a year or two years, yeah. and then they fall off and disappear. Yeah. And a lot of them, some of them still play, but you don't even hear their name or exactly. see, you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, it's, yeah, it is more about being an artist. For me, it was more techno because <clears throat> in Detroit, what we, what we consider techno is different. Yeah. You know what I mean? Massively. Techno is, is a lot different. It was, it was all part of riding around in your car, listening to the radio or clicking your porch light on and off at midnight when Mojo was on or, it's a culture. you know. It was a culture. Yeah. It wasn't just the music. <clears throat> it was the warehouse parties. It was the raves. It was all of it combined. Yeah. You know, it was like uh, a Thursday night, you know, house party. It was uh, floods, you know, it was still open. Yeah. This is super popular restaurant, you know, in downtown. And it's just, you know, being a house head and, yeah. and doing a house dances. And it was all that culture. That was all techno to us. You know, like I remember Moody Man once he was, I was talking to him and he was like, yeah, boy, I, I think I'm going to make some techno. And I was like, you already make techno. Yeah. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> he was like, you think so? I said, hell yeah, that's techno. Yeah. You know, because them young sconies, if that ain't techno, what is? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. This just the whole culture, but it is being as individuals being artists, you know, I think that's what speaks loudest and it goes back to Motown, mm. you know, because they wanted to outdance each other and they wanted to out sing each other. And yeah, that's the artist in you coming yeah. through the bubble of yeah. Motown or the bubble of techno. I think it's also, you know? comes from, it, uh, tell me if I'm wrong. 
and it may be out of place in me saying this, but it comes from the struggle as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I think struggle breeds the best artists. 100%. It's sad, but it's true. You know, 100%. I mean, the best artists, my, all my favorite artists struggled. Yeah. All of them. None of them had it easy. Yeah. Zero. You know, even to this day, new artists I find and I go back and I look at their career, they struggle. Yeah. You know, and <clears throat> that's that's just it goes back. It goes to how I even make music. Mm. You know, I don't go in the studio and make a track. No. I go and I just let out a, a feeling or an emotion or an idea mm. or something weird. And if it just so happens to be danceable, then good. Yeah. I structure it in a way where it can some people can dance to it. You know, if you take the kick drum out of all of techno and you listen to it, the most artistic, the most beautiful music is, is going to be Detroit techno. It's yeah. so much soul in there. But if you take the kick away from what's happening now. There's nothing else. <laughs> I have. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, have a wobbly bass line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're so true. I think I, for me, that's the litmus test. If I can take the kick out and people still dance to that track or yeah. they groove or they vibe to it, that's some good techno. You know, it doesn't have to be super funky. It doesn't have, it could be new wave. Yeah. It could be on the edge of what, what people call trance, yeah. you know, euphoric almost, you know, yeah. to that point. But if the kick is the only element, then something's wrong. Mm. Something's definitely wrong. Yeah. That's the way I see it. I don't disagree with you there, man. Uh, for me, for me, is I've evolved as whoever I am in music and as a person. Like soul is all I want to put into a record. It's all I want to put in. It's like that's how I found you. Yeah, you were making. I started playing that remix you did of the Percolator. Mm. Oh, really? Did you? And I was like, good God, who is this Will Clark? I was like, he lit this song on fire. And it was just the perfect nod to the song. Mm. It didn't step on it too much. It actually made it better. That's tough. When somebody can remix wow. a classic and make a better version. I'm not saying it's better than the original, but it stepped it up. It updated yeah. it. You know, and after that, I was like, okay, what else? What else, Will Clark? What you got? What you got? You know, and that's when I started going back. And then I got the hallelujah through, and I was like, okay. I said, somehow, some way, I'm going to play this in a techno set. Mm. People won't get it, but yeah, it's going to happen. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. No, it means you a know? lot. It means a lot. And it's something that I've battled with through my career because, <clears throat> like, I, my first, like, real success in, in music was through Dirty Bird. Um, yeah that's right and and i love those guys and i love what it did for my career but i i couldn't really put that into my records in dirty bird it wasn't mm. really like a soulful record label it was more like yeah yeah, just yeah. make as much bassy as we possibly can or booty records or like ghetto tech records if you know what i mean which i still love like dion dj rush like uh. all, all, of those, <laughs> all of that shit i love um but like that was the thing is like, how can I, when I had to kind of decide, okay, let me step away from Dirty Bird and let's make something that I, that actually feels like me. Yeah. And that's when the records started to come a lot and, and the records were a lot You let sit on fire, bro. I mean, I was getting track after track from you and I was like, damn. Thank you, and it's man. funny, I play something and the, now the litmus test is 
because you know I, I play stuff out all the time if I feel it and then I see how people react. But if I play it at home and my wife comes over, who's that? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and there's very few times that she'll ask me, who is that? Yeah. And about at least four times it was you. Oh, wow. And I just look at her and I go, Will Clark. She's like, no. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh, yeah, hey, we should do something. We should do something. We should get in. I think that would be I'd dope. Love that. I'd love it, man. People would be like, oh, what the hell? That's the beauty of it. Yeah. See, that's what happens when we talk, huh? Yeah. No, I think that's the thing as well. And it's, it's that's what... The, again it's the whole point of this podcast for me is sitting down with people that i wouldn't necessarily sit down with in well everybody that i sit down on this podcast i would never sit down for an hour and a half and yeah. not have any distractions not have any converse any like phones any Body talking to me like this is I, we would never have had this conversation even if we were at dinner we would That's never true. have had this conversation. And I think like, yeah. this is why I do these conversations is cause like we need to talk. People need to talk. Like we can't it's just really cool. Can't just be in the studio. We can't just be DJing. Like yeah. I, I want to, I want to make connections. Selfishly. I want to make ca- connections in this industry and I yeah. want to learn from, from everybody, whether it's new and old, new or old. And yeah. I, I think it just allows everybody to kind of, this this will this is similar to music to a certain extent where this will last for the rest of this will last for longer than us this conversation yeah, yeah. and that's true and I hope in fifty years time when we we're not on this planet like people can still listen to this conversation and I hope people sample you talking about shit and I hope people <laughs> sample me talking about shit and I hope people are like damn DJ Bone like. And I think that's what's really important to me is like, just do cool shit. Yeah. I mean, I'm on that tip too. Yeah. Of we, we got, a <laughs> we got contacted through uh Goldie's management. Wow. And they were saying, you know, talking to on and they're like, yeah, uh, we should get Bone and Goldie together to do a project. And then, you know, she was like, Oh yeah, of course. You know, so she talked to me and I was like, hell yeah. And then nothing materialized. Mm. And then after a few months, well, you know, maybe the, when COVID hit, you know, then they got back in touch and they were like, yeah, so we still want to do something with Bone. And so initially we we're going to do a back to back and just, you know, so Goldie messaged me on Instagram. He's like, give me a number, man. You know, I need to talk to you. Yeah. So he hit me up. He was like, look, man, we need to shake this shit up. We need do something, you know, techno need that's blah, blah, blah. I was like, all right, let's do it. He's like, I came to you Bone because, you know, I, there's a lot of Detroit people I love so much. He's like, but I, I fuck with you. You yeah. know, come on, let's do it. So it turned from one back to back. And as soon as we put the word out, that's when people are like, can we get that? Can we get I that? Bet. I bet. And we did the tour and it was so much fun, man. Mm. And the crowds, I mean, to be able to go and play whatever we want. That's what I I live for. Yeah. You know, I always have curveballs in my sets. But to have a whole set of curveballs and nobody knows what the fuck. I always tell people, I I really don't want my crowd to listen to me. I want them to anticipate me. I want yeah. to anticipate, like, what is he going to do next? Mm. Not just be in the beat and be like, oh, this is a cool track. I hope he plays another one like this. I hope he plays another one like this. 
You know, yeah. the kick, the kick went out. The kick went out. When's it coming back? <laughs> When's it coming back? It's back. It's back. It's back. You know what I mean? So yeah, I, I want people. I want to play something where people look at each other and they're looking at their friends like, "Did you just see that or hear that?" And now they're on edge. So yeah. now you're kind of like, it's like a good movie. Yeah, yeah. Like, whoa. Yeah. What the fuck is gonna happen next? You know, suspense. Mm-hmm. I miss that. Yeah. But with me and Goldie. It was bananas. And I, I want to carry that energy because we're going to do it again next year. Amazing. But I, if more projects. So me and you, we have to Let's do it. shake it up. We got to shake it up, Will. Let's do it. Also, when <laughs> when when you do that Goldie thing, please let me know because that will be the only rave I want to come to. <laughs> you like, brought it full circle. Like growing up in, like I'm from Bristol in the UK. So, oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. So like growing up with, I never liked drum and bass as a kid. Like I was, no. I was opposite because all my friends loved it and they always mm-hmm. tried to get me to listen to it. And I was always trying to get them to listen to house and techno. And like, oh. I kind of always had this battle with them and I'd play like house parties, like every summer. I, in, in fact, in this place, like this used to where I live now, it used to be like an old cow shed. And mm-hmm. like, I used to throw a summer party every, every at the end of every school year. And like everyone asked me to play drum and bass, and I'd be playing techno. And, and you have to <laughs> nope, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> but eventually, I was like, I love drum and bass. I like gave into it, and I love it. And oh man, Goldie is has a, a special place in in that scene for me, massively. Yeah, um, that brother. I mean, he's if any, if anybody, there's a bunch of people I consider honorary Detroit. And he's at the top. Does he? So, so when you guys play, do you both play techno? Yes. Sick. And we play drum and bass. Sick. Yeah. So he he plays techno. I play techno. He plays drum and bass. I play drum and bass. We play hip hop. No. We played. Uh, he dropped at Montro Jazz. I'll never forget it. I was playing something, and then he mixed in, and then next thing you know, I just heard. Let me clear my throat. I was like, what did he just do? I was just like, I didn't know what was going to happen. And I'm like in shock looking at him. And then I turned and looked and the place erupted. And I was in shock still. So he played it and then he backed off the tables looking at me like, okay, now what you got? And I was like, because we would just go back and forth like a battle. Yeah, yeah. He would even tell An, I play something and the place would go crazy. And he'll be like, can you go to her? He's like, I got something for his ass. I got something for his ass. So he played that and it went nuts. So I come up and I was like, what am I going to mix into this shit? But then I was like, okay, first off, I know it's a call and response, you know? Say, ah, 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 ah. And I pulled it down and the whole place went, ah, 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 ah. And he looked and he was just, now nah, he's in shock. Yeah, yeah. So he's like, what the fuck? And he knows what's coming up. And it's like, if y'all want to party like we party. And then it has this part where they make everybody freeze. Yeah. So he's looking at me and he's like, no, he's not going to do it. And I'm like this. And then it says freeze. And I just stopped the record. The whole crowd, people had phones, cell phones up and everything. They just all froze. That's so good. And then I just let it go. And then he was like, okay, all right, you got it. <laughs> That's such a moment. We have it on video too. And I was, I'm in awe of the fact that he played it. Mm. And that creativity, just him playing it made me think on, you know, was on my toes. Like, okay, 
what can I do to bring it to the next level? So all our sets are like that, like yeah. just going up and up and up. I mean, it was crazy. He was playing, uh, what was that, Feral Manch? Yeah, yeah. Dun, 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 dun. Get the fuck out so, of Because I played Godzilla, yeah. like Godfather. Was, dun, 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 dun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dun, I was dun, just dun, about dun. to tell you, say that. And he and he looked at me like, okay, okay. And then it's going, dun, 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 dun. and I'm all hyped up, like, yeah, dun, 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 dun. and then he just, fuck you. <laughs> so I don't know if you remember the Kill Frenzy did a remake of Godzilla years uh-huh. ago. Um, it's it's really good. I'll send it to you if you if you've not heard yeah, it. Yeah, it's yeah. really good. And him and I were playing in Australia together years ago, um, and. We didn't know, but that Godzilla record or his version of the Godzilla record was like the the tune of that club. Like, and we didn't have a clue. <laughs> and we were playing back to back, and then he played this. He played it, and literally, it was. Have you played in Revs in Melbourne? I think. Is, wait, is it the basement or no? It's like the day party uh, on no, the Sunday. No, 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 no. Okay. But it's like an institution of, in Australia, as much of an institution can be in Australia. Um, but like, and the place went fucking mental. Like literally oh, had people hanging off the like the ceiling. It's, it's, oh, it's quite like yeah. a lounge. There's like chairs, people jumping off the chairs. And you're just like, I, I was like, dude, what the fuck is happening? And it, it, it doesn't really happen that often things like that it really doesn't and i think for me that is the whole reason why i do it is for those moments when you're like you couldn't like you could play that record in multiple situations and it wouldn't have that response but because you're playing it in a back-to-back it's you and goldie it's you're playing techno, you're playing drum and bass, you're playing hip hop, and then somebody drops a bomb like that and you're like, game over. It would never happen. And it, like you play that in a hip hop club every weekend. It gets played every weekend in a hip hop club. Yeah. Yeah. They don't get the response that you would get. No, no. That's the best no. thing about it. <laughs> That's it. That's it. That's the curveballs. So I just thought about it. I was like, well, if we do a whole set that's like that, what's going to happen? Yeah. <clears throat> Especially people seeing, just seeing Goldie play techno and hearing him. Wow. Yeah. And then when he dropped that uh, redemption, yeah. <clears throat> that sampled the Galaxy to Galaxy. I don't know that. Oh my God. I'll send it. Yeah, please do. It's, I was shocked because it loops. It's like ding, 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 ding. And it just loops over. And then I'm like, oh, he's playing some UR. And then all of a sudden, this vocal comes kicking in. If you ever and I was like, what the fuck is this? I was yeah. going bananas. Like, what is this? Yeah. And he was just nodding his head, pointing at it like, yeah, bro. I love yeah. that. Yeah, so he worked with Matt Mike on that. Mike let him sample the Galaxy of the Galaxy. Wow. And it's just the most emotional track oh, you can hear. This. And if you drop it at the right time, it's it's just, it's beautiful. It's a, a tearjerker. So he played that, and I was like, fuck, dude, this is crazy. You, but like you said, time and place, because, you know, anywhere else you play, they're going to think it's Tech House. Yeah. Because it has a vocal. Yeah, of course. You know, because it's techno with a vocal. And be like, oh, that's Tech House. No, yeah. that's some Detroit shit. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, mo- moving, Detroit, moving to Detroit changed, changed, changed everything for me, musically. 
And, and that, that, like, I can, is it I, the city itself? Like the vibe yeah. of the city? Yeah, I think yeah. it's like if you if you come to where I live in the UK, it's like it's like where you live in in the Netherlands. It's like farmland. I live in the middle yeah. of, middle of nowhere. I can, I can. There's not a shop for five miles. I can walk. <laughs> I can walk down to the local village. Well, I have to drive to the local village, but I know everyone. Like everyone knows yeah. you. Like it's very like, and I obviously I, I lived in LA before. I lived in New York before, and I love New York. New York's my favorite place in the world. But <laughs> Detroit just it changed. My music just changed completely. Yeah. And I think I, I believe it, man. It's it's a cold, dark city, really, in especially in the winter. And yeah, it just it kind of <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah, my wife said it's just Gotham. Yeah, I mean, it it's, is. It's seriously it really is. like like nothing else. Yeah, it's and it, the thing that amazes me is it, it still amazes me every time I drive down Woodward. It's like six p.m. on Woodward, like the biggest, the the, mo- the main street in Detroit. It's six PM yeah. and you you don't drive past another car and you're like, no, what the it's fuck? It's a ghost town. It's a ghost town still. Yeah, everything closed. Yeah, yeah. it's mad. It's absolutely mad. But the only is, thing open is like what fast food and liquor stores. Yeah, yeah. Or a church. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Church next to a liquor store. <laughs> <laughs> that's so Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man, that's I true. I love it. I love it, man. Dude, we've uh, just done an hour and 45 minutes. Um, oh, that's it? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, we could go on it. forever, but I have really, really enjoyed this conversation. So thank you very much for coming on, man. Thank you. Hey, anytime, man. Anytime you want part two, let's do it. Let's do it. We My pleasure, seriously. Um, before we go, let's do the promo. You've just got a new EP come out on Fabric. Yes. Which is dope. I love it. Um, Thank you. What, what's it called again? Black, Black Market. Black Market, yeah. Yeah. Um, go listen to it, people. <laughs> how, <laughs> how, how can people follow you on social media? How can people come to see your shows? How can people find out about all of that? Uh, social media is DJBone313 mm. is, is my handle. Um... For my shows, I have a regular event further at uh, Radian in Amsterdam. I call it my my Vegas. <laughs> you know, that's my residency. So we do events there. Uh, it was monthly, but it just wasn't working as well because I traveled too much yeah. to schedule it properly. So we do like maybe five times Amazing. a year right now. And the next one we have coming up is New Year's Eve. Cool. With a really heavy, heavy hitter lineup, but not like, oh, look at these names. Yeah. Just when you look at the naming, be like, oh, yeah, they're dope. They bring it. So that's what's happening uh, right now. I'm in the U.S. I'll be in L.A. this Saturday, and then I'm gonna be in New York. Um, what is that? The 18th. Yeah, the 18th. And then the twentieth. I think this is coming out. This is coming out a bit later. Let me just check when this is coming out. This is coming out on the twenty second of November. Oh, okay. Uh, no. Uh, Tim Division. Bondi Tim. Twenty ninth of November. This is coming out. 
Well, at least I'll get the New Year's Eve. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we have a hell of a, a dope-ass New Year's Eve plan. Cool, man. Dude, uh, I, I, must, really I must say, playing for you guys in Amsterdam, like, it was, it reignited playing again for me. It, no. Yeah, man, it's like, I, you know how it is, like, you tour the summer, you kind of really put the fucking work in and your schedule is nonstop. And it's sometimes it can just like get not monotonous, but you're just doing shows. Like if you know it's what I mean. hectic, yeah. It's super hectic. And there's no time yeah. to like reevaluate everything. And I played a show with Oliver Heldens on the Wednesday, which was great. Like I love playing shows like that because it's a completely different crowd to what I would usually play in front of. And it's like, I can try and win people over and try and get them to be my fans. <laughs> but yeah. like playing at further Radian for the homeless homies party, it was like I came out of there going, that was fucking amazing. Like it was that's so it cool. Was I'm glad, amazing. man. That's amazing. our that's our mission. Like the reason we started further is to bring that experience every single time. Yeah. It's we've had and honestly it's it feels good. I'm I'm happy to hear you say that because so many DJs when they come and play, they say that. They're like I felt so good playing there. And when I left, I just wanted to come back. Yeah. You know, right. I, just the vibe, the atmosphere, you know, everything. And we want that. We want the sound, the vibe, the the, the people, the entry mm. from beginning to end. You know, it's about the whole complete experience. It's not just about me. It's not just about the club. It's about everything involved, the people who work there. Yeah. You and, know, and that room really is important. that the room that I played in. It's just special, man. It's so special that room. Nothing like it. I don't want to play in another room in that club. Like, cause I I looked around and I was like, yeah, they're all cool, but this room's the fucking best. And it's I like, it. it's like, uh, it was just something about it, man. It's just, it was timing as well. It's like I needed it. So, so thank that's you. cool. Thank you, man. We appreciate you. We really appreciate. We appreciate you, man, because you you came through like great. a champ, man. You great. were like. Whatever you need, yeah. you know. I loved it, man. I loved it. And how can is there a way people can donate to the homeless homies thing ever, or is it just yeah, events? yeah? Let me check to donate to homeless homies. <laughs> I tell you what, send me the links and I'll put it okay. in the comments below, cool, or in the description. So if anyone wants to wants to donate to that, please hit the link below. That's perfect. Um, Thank you, bro. And and. We'll push that as well. Dude. That'll work. Keep safe. See you soon. Uh, all right. Take care, man. Thanks again. Big love, man. See ya. I love that conversation. Thank you to, for DJ Bone for coming on. Um, please go follow him. Please go listen to his music. Please go see him play. He is a boss DJ. Um, and also please donate homeless homies. Link is in the description. Um, keep safe. See you next time. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.